Good morning. We've been talking about grace, and today we're going to continue. We've called this series The Scandal of Grace, and today we're going to see a bit more why grace is scandalous. Um, and we're going to do that by looking at the story, the very famous story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Prodigal means excessive or wasteful. So you, you could read this, the, the parable of the wasteful, excessive son, if you like. Um, that's the title in my, in my Bible. It comes actually after two other stories that Jesus told, one of a lost sheep and one of a lost coin. And what God is doing, what Jesus is doing, is he's saying this is God's heart for his creation. Let's just, for a moment, think that these stories are coming from Jesus himself. These are stories straight out of heaven. These are stories which God is telling us about himself and about us. He's saying this is what it's like. This is how the Father thinks about his creation. And through these stories we learn something of the grace of God. And it's surprising and shocking, and as we'll see, it is actually scandalous that God would uh, exhibit such grace to us in and through his dear son, Jesus. So let's just read Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 11. Uh, we're going to read the whole story here. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far-off country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he spent everything, a severe uh, famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed, to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. He came to himself and he said, how many of my father's Hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I'll rise and go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. This is my son. He was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come uh, and your father has killed and fatten the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. When this son of yours uh, came and he, he's devoured your property, the prostitutes, and you killed the fattened calf for him. 
And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he is found. Father, we thank you for this incredible story. We thank you that it comes from the throne of God. comes through Jesus telling us about your heart for us. Lord, we're amazed at this story. And we, we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work right now as we just unpack this story together. You'd help us understand something of this scandalous grace, this incredible love and mercy that you've shown to your creation, to us, to me. And Father, that we would respond with such gratitude in our hearts to you and that we would become like you in this gracious way of behaving and being. In Jesus' name, amen. Father had two sons. It's such, a, such an innocent beginning, isn't it? I think, could be me. I mean, I've, I've actually got two sons and a daughter, but I, you know, it could, I'm like, this could be me. And Jesus always does this with the stories he tells. He draws in the listeners. They probably would have been crowding around him and maybe jostling for, for position. And they hear a story like maybe the, the other two, uh, they're in this series, the, the lost sheep. They said, yeah, no, there was a shepherd and he lost a sheep. And it's like, hey, yo, crumbs, I know what that's like. Or he says, there was a, there was a lady who lost a coin. I'm like, yeah, we, we've done that. We, we know what that's like. And here he says, there was a man who had two sons and he draws in the listener, he wants to draw us in. He wants us to put ourselves in this story. And I hope, just as I was reading it there, maybe you saw yourself in this story somehow. And uh, actually, this story is, some have said, <laughs> this maybe is the greatest short story ever written, uh, ever spoken. And of course, we find ourselves here in the midst of the comings and goings of this family quite easily. Actually, too, this story is the story of all of Scripture. It's like a very short version of the whole Bible. Here it is in just a few short verses, incredibly and brilliantly, telling the story of God's love for his rebellious creation, of his desire to draw that creation back to himself, to redeem everything and to celebrate that moment of redemption and reconciliation. And of course, it's full of challenges and warnings along the way, but that's the aim. The aim is to get to the feast, <laughs> to get to that point of reconciliation and redemption at the end of the story. In many ways, it's a shocking story too. And there are things about the story that we immediately notice that occur to us, particularly cultural things, straight away. We might quickly understand this picture of a rebellious son who wants to make his way in the world. We might even quite admire his sense of adventure and self-confidence as he heads off into an unknown world to find his way. But there are some things about this story which are hidden behind the culture. And to understand something of the story and all of its scandal, we need to delve a little bit behind what appears on the page and understand the cultural significance of some of the things that are happening. And so we want to do that just now. As I say, there are things that are immediately apparent as we read this story, and there are things which are a little bit hidden to us, but would have been clear to those first hearers of the story. The first thing to understand is about inheritance. It's a story about inheritance. The, the young son, the youngest son, comes to his father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. If you remember, a few months ago, we were talking about what it meant to be adopted, that if you're adopted into a family, you have a share in the inheritance of that family. 
You're part and parcel of the flow of blessing down through the generations that comes with being part of a family. And here we have inheritance again. Inheritance was a very good thing. Sometimes we think of inheritance um, kind of maybe nationally or internationally. It's a bad thing. It's, it means people just get loads of money and they don't have to work for it. But actually there's a, it, there's a lot more layers to it. <laughs> this is a way of protecting, uh, protecting a family, of, 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 of blessing a family into the future, of an un, a very uncertain future for many. Remember, there is no social services. There's, there, there is nothing other than the family to support individuals and uh, that's true into the future as well. And inheritance did all of those things. And what would have happened was the older son, the oldest son of a family, would get the majority. So here you have two sons. Probably what would have happened is that the older son would have got, say, two-thirds, something like that, of, of the inheritance, of the wealth and the land, et cetera, et cetera. And the younger son uh, would have got a third. You think, well, that doesn't seem very fair. Yeah, but with, the, with the, the lion's share, as it were, the largest share of the inheritance, came the expectation that you would look after the family. You would continue the family name. That you would, um, it, it was more like you were stewarding that into the future for the family and maybe a very extended family. And so the younger son would get a bit less. But here's the thing, here's the crunch about this story. The inheritance is enacted at the death of the father. So when the son comes to the father and says, I want it now, what he's effectively saying is, I want out of this family, I don't want any of the responsibilities, and I would rather you were dead. He's really saying, I wish you were dead. This is, this is a shocking thing. The, the, those who heard this would have just been shocked into silence as they heard Jesus tell this story. What? What? He's asking for his inheritance before the father has died? This is, this is scandalous. This is shocking. This is deeply offensive and insulting to the father. And they must have been waiting to see what, what's the father going to do? How, what's his response going to be to this horrendous insult from his youngest son? But rather than responding in anger, the next thing we find in the story is that although the treatment is shameful, the father surprisingly agrees and says, okay, take, take your share. And that would have meant disruption for this family unit for this extended family unit they they'd have to sell some land you know they have to make arrangements to change things maybe sell some of their their flocks and crops and things all sorts of things would have to have happened so that the son could be released before the father died and he, he agrees as he you are you you take what is coming to you so the expectation probably would be this son deserves a beating that's probably what's going to happen here. And actually, the father agrees. And it's, it's shocking that it would happen that way. And what's not so surprising is when the son, the younger son gets his inheritance, off he goes to a far country. He wants nothing more to do with his family. He's done. He's off. As far away as you can possibly get. And then he just wastes it all. He, just, he indulges himself in everything that his heart and his body desires. He, 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 there is nothing that he, he won't do. And, and, and he, you know, we, we see that as we read through the whole story. And of course, it doesn't take very long before he spent it all. There's a famine in the land. 
and now he has nothing. He's spent it. The protection of the family is gone. He's alone. He is far from home. And it's a home that he suspects that won't be welcoming him back. And then, of course, he, he does eventually get a little bit of help, and he's left feeding pigs. So where, where he finds himself, we could say, look, he's, he's living among the untouchables, and he's wanting to fill his stomach with the inedible. And that's where he finds himself. And then he comes to his senses. It's right at the end of the story, or the middle of this part of the story, where he finds he's at the end of himself now. He comes to his senses, and he thinks to himself, well, maybe if I, you know, maybe I could somehow, you know, maybe I could get back home somehow. And it, what he thinks to himself is this. He thinks, he knows this, and again, this is a cultural thing. He knows if I'm going to get any, any help from the family, I'm going to have to pay back what I took. And so when he, when he thinks I'll offer myself as a hired hand, what he's thinking is I'll pay my debt back to the family. That's what I'll do. And at some point, maybe I'll get some help as well. But I can, I can offer myself as a hired hand. That's how it would work. But he's definitely thinking I'll, I've got to, I'm going to have to pay back what I took. And um, that would have been the only way back into the family. And that's what he's hoping would happen. And so he begins the long journey back it's long and hard, and I'm sure he's playing some of those uh, tapes in his head of what happened before and you know, what he said to his father and how he'd left his father and mother, actually, and, of course, how that had gone and, my goodness, where he's found himself. So he's thinking, you know, maybe I'll find, somehow I'll find my way back. The father is watching father is watching and how do we know the father is watching because he sees the son when he's a long way off there's still a long way to go and the father sees him the father is filled with love and hope that the son would one day return it would have been easy and probably culturally appropriate for a son who had done what he had done to you know we, we've heard the phrase and we look you're no longer a son of mine and that would be it not so with this father. This father is watching and hoping and waiting for the return of his dear son. Next thing we see is the father runs. He runs to his son whilst he's a long way off. This would have been unheard of. The head of a family, an older man in that culture would not run, partly because he'd have to hitch up his kind of cloak, his you know, the, the flowing robes they would wear because of all the heat that they experienced and, and tuck it up. He'd have to expose his legs. That would have been shameful. And then he would have to run. It would have been, that's, that's what boys do. You know, little boys run, not, not statesmen. And he does it nonetheless. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. He is going to welcome his son and he's filled with love and hope and runs to him and embraces him. He puts a ring on his finger. That's important. That's inclusion. That's authority. He's reinstating him. And the sons, they've barely had a conversation. The, the son's kind of blurting out, oh, you know, I've, I've come back. It's, I'm so, and he's barely got the sentence out and he's being embraced by the father. And he's, the ring's on his finger. The cloak around him is, is about security and inclusion back in the family. And then, of course, there's a feast. The feast Brothers and sisters, is a feast. <laughs> it's a celebration. 
Lots of us thinking about Christmas, hoping there'll be some sort of feast to celebrate that. But this is where the story is heading to this celebration, this joyful celebration. We are going to feast because he was lost and he is found. So hopefully that helps a little bit in understanding the story, but it might raise other questions too. If it's really this scandalous, if what the son has done has been so insulting to the father, if it's been so damaging financially and socially as the father has been, has been slighted so publicly, where's the scolding? Where's the punishment? We might say, where's the justice? This is, where's the justice in this? We might say, in reading this story. In very, very simple terms, where did all the badness go? <laughs> Where's it gone? Let's look at a very simple illustration that might help us to understand. I want you to imagine that someone steals some money from you, say 100 pounds from you. Very broadly speaking, if that were to happen to you, I hope it doesn't, but if it would happen to you, you've, you've got broadly speaking two options at that point. You can get the money back by exacting some kind of legal system or going to the police or whatever and, and, and recover what was lost. Or you can forgive the crime. Now, if you forgive the crime, what happens to the money? Where does it go? It doesn't magically appear again. If it's a, it doesn't sort of pop back into your account. You have forgiven it. The truth is that if you forgive that kind of crime, the £100 is now your loss. You have to absorb the loss. That's what happens. And that's what's happened here to these crimes against the father, against the family. The father is absorbing the punishment. He's saying, it's on me. I will accept the, the fact that the neighbors are wondering what on earth is going on. Why have you not punished him? Why are you, accept Why are you running to this rebellious boy? He is absorbing. He's accepting the punishment, the cost, it's financial and, of course, in terms of standing in the communities, accepting the loss. The father is forgiving the son and taking the punishment, taking the shame upon himself. He is paying for it. He's paying for his son's misdeeds himself. That's what he's doing. This, this is amazing grace. This is God telling us, this is how it is with what I have made, the creation that I've made. Creation decided, let, let's go our own way. We can do it ourselves. And then pursued every avenue of pleasure and meaning. And the Father's been waiting patiently, looking, hoping, one day, one day. And when when we come to our senses, and some of us do, some of you will, the Father runs to embrace and absorb. It's almost as if the repentance part is it's not, it's, it's important. Of course it is important. But the, the son barely gets it out of his mouth before he is embraced. What you might expect to have been said was, yep, okay, uh, yep, you can, you can get back in, but you'll have to pay it all back. You know, that, that would have been culturally the right thing to do. Or well, yeah, you can, you, can, you can sort of be part of this family again, but you've got to live, live in the village until we feel we can trust you again. None of it. That's not how the father responds. That's not what grace does. 
the son is embraced. He's, the, he's offered the protection of the family. He's clothed, he's kissed, he's reinstated. His return is celebrated with a feast. That is the scandal of it all. The son is back in the family. How? Well, the father absorbs all of the wrongdoing, the sin, the rebellion, the slight on his name, the insult, the lostness. The father absorbs it all. God is telling us, Jesus is telling us in this story, this is how I feel about my lost creation, my sinful, rebellious people. I want you back. I want you in. And that's how it happens. We might think, oh, well, I, I, could never, I could never find my way to God. I, you, if you knew, if you only knew. Well, here we are. God's telling us, I do know. I do know, son. I do know, my dear child. I know. I want you anyway. I'm absorbing. I'm going to absorb it all. This scandalous grace is what God offers us. But there's even more than that. Because this scandal of grace, this is, this is the atmosphere of God's kingdom. He says, this is how I want creation to be. It's not, well, you know, this is, this is towards another end. This is how God created the world to be, full of acceptance and love. And this is how it will be as God redeems all of creation. And this, brothers and sisters, is to be the atmosphere of his kingdom now, of his church now. One of humility, of repentance, of acceptance, of love, of paying one another's debts and carrying one another's burdens. It can be hard to accept. And we'll look next week at the other son because there are other, there's another son in this story. It's probably not accurate to call this the parable of the prodigal son. This is really the parable of the two sons. I remember a teacher, one of my school teachers, um, when, I was a, um, when I was working as a teacher, she said of this story, and we would teach some of these stories sometimes to children, of course, she couldn't get it. She's like, but hang on, this just, this just seems unfair. And she was right. Yes, grace is phenomenally unfair, but it's unfair in your favour. <laughs> it's unfair in my favour. It's unfair, and I'm on, the, I'm on the receiving side of grace. My goodness, so who? Well, actually, it's God, isn't it? He, he absorbs the unfairness, the wrongdoing, the sin. And so God is saying to you, maybe he's asking this of you right now. Maybe he's saying, do you need to find your way to me? I'm waiting, I'm hoping to receive you. This grace is, is his attitude towards all that he's made. Maybe you, maybe you look in on, on a service like this, and you think, oh, it, it just looks so good. It looks too good to be true. But the father is waiting to say, it's, it's true. It's true, my dear son, my dear daughter. I am longing to embrace you. Come to your senses. Come in humility to the Father and you will receive an embrace like you have never known from the Father an acceptance an authority a oneness an inclusion an inheritance that the Bible says can never perish spoil or fade 
when um, two of my children have left home um, to university and then on to work, and sometimes they come home and we do their washing for them. If you're a student, that's probably a familiar thing for you. <laughs> and one of the things that they often say is, oh, it smells like home. It smells like home. They, whatever it is, you know, the combination of washing powder and whatever the softener you might use, and that's probably true for you. You probably know that. You get home or you get some clothes washed. Oh, it smells like home. Brothers and sisters, grace, the grace of God, the unmerited favor, the outrageous, scandalous, improbable grace of God, that's the smell of home. It's home. And God is calling you home. He's calling you to himself. He's saying, receive this incredible love. Yes, it takes humility to receive it. 